Welcome to the Mortcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown, Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, to now is the time with easing restrictions and all that stuff that um, you can get into Blanchard Family Wines for a safe and socially distanced time. But if you're like me and you've got some compromised individuals in your family and you can't risk it, Go to bfwdenver.com. Get yourself a bottle of this 2017 Cabernet, which is my personal favorite. But they also have Pinot. They've got some uh, blends. They've got uh, Rieslings with the Western Slope Winery called Storm Cellars. They also have a partnership with a uh, also another Western Slope Winery called uh, Restoration, which has some, I believe, some Syrahs, if you're into that sort of thing. But basically, they have everything you need, including a partnership with a, with a uh winery in the Elk Mountains. These grapes come from Sonoma County, California. So uh, you know that Pinot is a specialty, but if that's not your thing, they got many other things you can, you can do. So either go in, 50% capacity, safe, socially distant, uh, uh, wine ta- uh, part- having wine, basically, uh, in the dairy block, which is fantastic, under some heaters, or you can, you know, uh, do what I do and go to bfwdenver.com. And uh, book yourself a uh, virtual wine tasting, uh, which are insanely popular, so get yours now. Or you could go uh, to bfwdenver.com and uh, pick yourself up a bottle for delivery, for uh, shipping, or you can go down and pick them up curbside, anything you want. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in... Or you talk to him, tell him Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast sent you there. for joining me on the latest Mortcast part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. I decided to, uh, in lieu of inserting, or which I can't do on these solo podcasts, um, I decided to whip out the guitar and play a little Mistreated Lover uh, by the band Burning Tree, a great album. I would highly suggest you check that out. Go to Apple Music or Spotify or whatever you do and check them out. It's a great song. Um, Okay, well, yesterday was an interesting day. Uh, We had the Super Bowl. Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks won. Tom Brady won his seventh uh, Super Bowl. Yay for Tom, I guess. Um, but also something else happened yesterday that I have to address, and I'm, I, I've been torn about how to, to approach this subject because um, a, a fellow media member confronted me about uh, of various aspects uh, of uh, the uh, MPJ discourse, and I think that it is worth a discussion because I think it's wrapped up into how muddled and confusing the Nuggets have approached this season. Um, let me address something first. Um, I was, uh, this, this individual said that I uh, criticized Malone a lot, no matter what, which is you know, maybe a fair thing, but it's probably missing the point in my view. Um, I, I, I think I will compliment Malone when he does a good job. I will criticize him when I think he needs to be criticized. Um, and currently, I don't think Malone has handled this year very well. 
Um, this is the worst I think he has handled um, a, a year of basketball since uh, the 2017 season, 17-18. Uh, I think that is the the end of the year. The Nuggets came together in a in a in one I think like six seven in a row and almost made the playoffs and got to the playing game. Uh, but before that uh, was not a great stretch of coaching from Michael Malone and. I think the last two years he's done a, a, a relatively great job um, in handling this. Um, the bubble, particularly the Utah series, wasn't some of his better moments, but he pulled it together in the Nuggets. It's hard to hard to argue with the results. Um, I do think this year he has uh, his worst traits have exacerbated um, uh, the Nuggets' tenuous situation. Um, they, this team is not as good as they were last year. And I think it's harder for a coach to accept that, particularly when Nikola Jokic is uh, having what I think is clearly one of the best seasons uh, that a Nuggets player has ever had, maybe since David Thompson in 1978. Um, it could really well be that, that great of a season, and, and, and I think people don't understand how great David Thompson was in the 77-78 season. Um, but this is, this is really a, uh, a great, unbelievable stretch of basketball, which uh, Nikola Jokic has basically single-handedly carried this team. Let's look at these factors here. Uh, Paul Melsap is old and shouldn't be starting. Uh, I'm going to get to that later in the podcast. Um, you have, uh, Jamal Murray, who has been not himself, um, been extremely inconsistent and is now injured. Uh, you had Gary Harris missing several games and started off the year shooting 12% from three. Um, you have Will Barton in and out of the starting lineup. Uh, you have Michael Porter Jr., who uh, is extremely um, – the last four games he's played have been awful, terrible <laughs> games. They've been terrible. Uh, listen, it's just not sugarcoated. He's been awful. Um, but, uh, it, it's just, he, Nicole Jokic has had to deal with all of this with, an, in addition to not having, um, Mason Plumlee to back him up or, um, uh, just having Jeremy Grant there as a, an additional, you know, guy who can guard the wing. And once again, I'll get to that in a second. Um, Nikola Jokic has played at a level that we have not seen since, like I said, David Thompson in 1978, and it has been unbelievable to watch. And I kudos to Nikola Jokic for holding this team together. Uh, I made the point earlier in the year, and this is completely true. This team is 12 and 10 right now, and that, that earlier in the year I said this team's like six and six. Um, this team is this record right now because of Nikola Jokic. Period. He has carried this team, and uh, you cannot praise him any more than we could possibly praise him. He is absolutely killing it, and he is shouldering a load that we have not seen for a long time. Um, I do think that some of the issues with Jokic having to do this have borne themselves out in their over-reliance on him. Uh, They have no isolation score. Uh, Even Jamal, Jamal works... You could see every fiber of his being going into uh, work 
uh, on the court. Uh, and that's fantastic, but it also leads him, I know my opinion, to getting injured quite frequently uh, because he has to really try extremely hard. There's talent, there's a lot of natural talent there, but there's also a lot of try because he's not as fast as these other guards. So he has to, to devote a lot of time to shake and all that stuff, which is probably why he's a better 16-game player than he is a 82-game player, so to speak. But the uh, this individual in the media made this point here, and I will dispute that in saying I, I do believe I justifiably criticize Michael Malone for various things. Uh, he is still a uh, coach who is prone to extreme emotion, and I think that a coach like that makes things worse uh, when things are bad. Um, you kind of sometimes need a coach with a steady pulse, and it just, you know, the analogy someone once gave to me within the NBA is that it seems like you have to hit Malone over the head with a frying pan about eight times before he gets to a certain place. And I think that is true, and I I think that he's his lack of understanding that this this season, this this team is not as talented, despite Jokic having the monster year that he's having, has been contributing to the weird and schizophrenic um, and issues that we've been having just team-wide in general. Um, but that is my approach there. The, the, this individual also said that, um, and moving on from Malone, this individual also said that we... Um, Lots of excuses are made for Michael Porter Jr. This is unequivocally correct. I, and, and, and it is something that uh, I, even in this exchange on Twitter, I did not dispute. Uh, excuses are made for Michael Porter Jr. Because he's a high lottery pick who was a lottery pick who should have been a number one pick if he wasn't injured. Uh, with that comes hype. With that comes expectation. And uh, players like that have a lot of excuses made for them. Uh, that is something that uh, we just have to accept. Things like that happen. Um, now there are. He has been the author of a lot of, the, uh, largely of his own demise, in a sense that um, his lack of awareness is really his crippling thing. He's not aware. He's extremely talented. He's extremely wanting to work hard. He's just not. He doesn't have awareness. Um, and on a basketball court, particularly in a team game, you need to be aware of things. And, and being quite frankly, Michael Porter Jr., is, I, I think no one can look at any of these games that he has played and said he's not trying or he's not trying to do the right thing. He's just not aware. And I don't know how you fix that, uh, but that is his fatal flaw. Um, and then when he can't shoot, there's obviously it compounds other things, and he was a minus 20 against the Sacramento Kings, a game that Jokic scored 50 and the Nuggets lost. Um, that obviously is true. There's a lot of excuses made for him, but I think it's not malicious. And I think that it's missing context when, uh, this individual pointed this out. Um, you can look at several circumstances and factors as to, as to where people can see MPJ making, um, ex- putting and put, be put in a better position to succeed. Uh, and I don't think that is mutually exclusive. You can say that Michael Porter Jr. has excuses made, that are made for him, but also acknowledge the fact that uh, oftentimes he has not been put in the right position. Uh, now, some people will say, well, you just have to learn how to deal with what the cards you're dealt, and that's fine. Most players, uh, I think, don't have to... Um... Michael Porter Jr. has been put in a lot of different places. Um 
And I think that some of this is, and I pointed this out before, it's on to Jokic to make it work. And I think because he's not used to players like Porter, he doesn't know how to incorporate him into what he does. That's why, that's why I keep saying this offense is far too reliant on Nikola Jokic. And I'm going to come back to something that I pointed out on Twitter a couple of days ago, and it's absolutely a fact. The Nuggets' best offensive stretch they ever had was in 2016-17, uh, Gallo's last year in Denver. One of the reasons they were so good is that Gallo would isolate frequently. Um, and he would draw fouls and try to get his own shot. Um, and he would post up uh, on mishap. Miss, he did his Gallo thing, right? <clears throat> Gallo is not an elite player. He is what I would call a very high-level role player. But he's not, he's not elite. Um, and he was able to exploit mismatches and do all that stuff. Well, one of the reasons that offense was so amazing was that Gallo was able to get what he wanted and, uh, and do it in a creative way. The Nuggets don't have that right now. Their team is almost, almost codependent to Nikola Jokic, and I think that is not good for the team. Um, this team needs offensive diversification, and the 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 ostensibly Michael Porter Jr. is supposed to be the person who gives him that, but he is a guy who's not yet played 82 games in his NBA career. Um, one of the reasons I come back to Malone not handling this year very well is that I think, and this is just my interpretation, I think the team from the very beginning of the year after Jeremy Grant left, was like, oh, well, we, this is, this is going to shift the focus of this year. We're in a pandemic. We need um, players who... Uh, we, need, we need Basically, we need Michael Porter Jr. to excel. We need him to be there. In fact, Tim Connolly says it's a poorly kept secret that we need Michael Porter Jr. to do this. Um, that was his quote that was on the record that was sent to the media. This was what was projected, and this is what I think, uh, if I'm going to fault Michael Malone for anything, is that his failure to acknowledge it has made things worse. Um, I think everyone, yours truly, was saying this from the beginning, knew this season was about MPJ. And I think what has papered over a lot of the Nuggets issues has been Nikola Jokic playing out of his mind. This team, as it is, is not doesn't hold a candle to last year's team. And uh, we just need to accept that, right? And in order to get better, they need to either A, develop Michael Porter Jr., or put him in a position to be traded for something better. And uh, because of the way this season has been handled, um, both with Michael Porter Jr.'s fault and a team fault, they're in this weird nebulous area where neither is happening and uh, it's not helping anyone. And I think part of that is a reflection of a coaching staff that really wants to win. I mean, who can blame them? And from uh, an organizational standpoint that understands that this team is not ever going to be a big player for the big free agents. And they just struck out with Jeremy Grant leaving for the same amount of money to go to Detroit, a far worse team, 
it's it's they just imagine how fundamentally shaken everyone was after that happened. Now they adapted by getting Jermichael Green, who's been good, but he's he's not a a, a, a he's not a wing. He's not, Jermichael Green is a natural four. Um, and this has this just was the way things are, and I think the team kind of understood this coming into the year. I don't think the coaching staff was on the same page, and that is why we're in uh, Mediocreville, uh, a team that probably should be developing its younger players. R.J. Hampton got in. You know, uh, you just you need those players in the game. Bowl Bowl never gets off the bench, ever. Uh, and that's another part of the revolving thing here, right? Now, it's it's hard for a team that was just in the Western Conference Finals to say uh, this year's about development. Um, there are ways you can thread the needle. And so far, the Nuggets aren't doing that. They're not threading the needle. They're not even trying. This reminds me of the 2011-12 Nuggets, um, a team that didn't really have a ton of talent but was over-relying on players left over from uh, prior the Carmelo Anthony trade. Rudy Fernandez was on the team. It was in a weird uh, place where the team was kind of mediocre, and then they ended up getting to the sixth seed and taking the Lakers to, to seven games in the first round. That team is, reminds me of this team. Uh, and, of course, then the Iguodala trade was made the next year, and uh, they won 57 games. You can you can still tread water in this sort of situation, but I think what it's doing a disservice to the amount of players who need work. And particularly if you're going to retain value. And the Nuggets aren't retaining value. Now, uh, this individual who... Uh, who mentioned this to me, and that, look, I have no issues with the individual who confronted me with this on Twitter, but it has kind of spurred me to talk about this, because I think, I think Nuggets fans, I think Nuggets media, I think Nuggets coaching staff have not been on, on what has been projected from the beginning, which is this team is not the same team that it was last year, they cannot operate the same way, and uh, this really, this year is about the zone guys, particularly Porter. Good and bad. Uh, and there's been a lot of bad, and then there's been a lot of good this year. Uh, that's what happens with young players, and you're just going to have to accept it. Or you're going to have to retain, keep up their value so they can be traded. And the Nuggets are doing neither, and it's damaging the team. And if anyone's going to talk about how things are going, are Ended up a certain way. It's 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 going to be, at least in my from my perspective, how the Nuggets tried to, tried to have the baby, or at least the the coaching staff and players. I'll put it that way too. And it's not working. It's not working because you can't you 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 have to accept losses, in order to develop players, and you can't bury guys because they are making lots of mistakes. 
Uh, I'm, the last point I'm going to make is this. Um, Paul Millsap has been sneaky terrible. And some of the issues I've seen is that you have a, a player who's playing at the four spot who will have flashes of good play interspersed with general nothing. And you can't have a starting lineup um, with gaping holes in it. Millsap has been great for this team since he signed in 2017, but he has been, particularly since the bubble, not the same guy. And I think he understands it. I'm not entirely sure the coaching staff understands it. Um, I think whether it's Jamichael Green or someone else probably deserves far more minutes. Uh, I don't even know how you solve this. You signed Millsap for one year, $10 million. I don't know how you address this issue. I don't know what the Nuggets are going to do to address this issue. But in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, this is a hole, I think, that needs to be addressed. Particularly, there are a couple of players I don't think mesh well with. I mean, they, they even tried Jermichael Green next to Paul Millsap against the Lakers. Um, it worked okay for the first half, and it was a complete disaster in the second half. Um, there are ways you can mitigate it if you don't want to, as I've discussed before, if you don't want to start if you want to start him, but like kind of intersperses minutes with more more with the bench unit, whatever. But the issue is not going to go away. And the more we rely on Paul Millsap to take up these minutes, the more this team's going to tread water. And I'm sad to say it. All right. Thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast. I will be talking to you soon. Goodbye.